A few, about a month ago, Angela and I went on a road trip, and uh, on our way back, uh, we went to visit some family, and on our way back, we came through Yellowstone, and we stayed the night in West Yellowstone, which the cheapest hotel in West Yellowstone at this time of the year, um, and we're talking the cheapest hotel, (laughs) is very expensive. And we woke up that morning and uh, proceeded to start hitting Yellowstone. You know, we hit uh, the Old Faithful. We saw a bear and a cub and a bison and all the things. And we didn't have the opportunity to stay multiple days in Yellowstone. So we got to see as much as we can could in that first kind of part of the day. And then we headed out East Yellowstone. And the goal was we had to get to Thermopolis, Wyoming. Anybody been to Thermopolis? Oh, it's just awesome. And we had to get to Thermopolis, Wyoming, and we had um, reserved an Airbnb at Vivian's house. I don't know Vivian, but she had opened up a room inside of her house for Airbnb. Now, have you ever done Airbnb where you have to like meet the people and stay in a room? just awkward. And we're driving out of Yellowstone and we're like, we just really want to be in our own bed, right? Like, you know, when you're traveling and you're just like, I want to be home and I will actually suffer and sacrifice in order to get home faster. Anybody experienced that before? Like you'll, you're like, I'll sit in a middle seat between two large people If it means that, or small people, but it's worse with large people, if it means getting home faster, because I want to be home. So we pushed it. We canceled our Airbnb, and we suffered, and we got home. And it was great. It was great to be able to sleep in our own bed, and that, just that feeling of, okay, we're home, we're here, we're in our own bed, we're in our own space, we don't have to chit-chat with Vivian. <laughs> We've been on this journey this summer for the last eight weeks, talking about the theme of walking. And the fact that the theme of walking goes all the way through Scripture And some of it, it's just kind of this big kind of overarching theme. And some of it's just very simple stuff. Like Jesus walked with his disciples everywhere. And as he walked, he taught. And they learned from him as they walked. We talked about slowing down our pace. We talked about the idea that God walks at like a three mile an hour pace. And oftentimes our lives are just frantic. And we're just going too hard. We've talked about the desert. We talked about the wilderness. We talked about this idea of resurrection and how Jesus actually walked back out the the same tomb door that he was carried into. And how a lot of times in our life, we have to walk back through some of the pain and the tragedy and the trauma in our lives because that's where healing happens. Last week, we talked about exile and displacement. We talked about the theme of exile all the way through Scripture, whether it's from the beginning of the Garden of Eden and the people of Israel going to Babylon and and ultimately this idea that as human beings, you and I are exiles. We feel displaced. 
We feel like things are not how they're supposed to be. We even talked about this idea that there's this kind of tacit feeling in our lives that things are incomplete, that things are not how they should be, that there's something wrong, that there's, in some instances, a glaring brokenness all around us, and at the same time, there's this like tacit ache for something to be fixed. And we made the claim that something cosmically needs to change, and until that happens, we're not home. Like, we're home, we live here, and there's times where we taste like things are, it tastes like things are, are how they should be, but most often we experience that we're estranged from this world, and, uh, and some of us even feel like we're like strangers in our own skin, based on some of the experiences we've had or the, the way we feel about ourselves. But we're not waiting. Here's the claim we made. We're not waiting to go to another home. Meaning, we're not waiting to uh, be ejected out of, of this earth and go to another city. We're actually waiting for the renewal of all things. We're, we're waiting for this city, for this home, for this planet to be permeated with the kingdom of God. Now, on a side note, I just want to share this again. There's a danger when we read scripture for our own self-improvement. We can kind of get tripped up. When we read scripture for life principles or uh, just for our own self-growth, uh, we tend to miss out on some of the deeper themes in the text. And it's the deeper themes, in my opinion, that hold the most mystery. And it's often easier to read scripture for ourselves, for kind of self-improvement and personal usage, but when we match up our lives uh, with just those things, we kind of miss out on the broader picture. But when we live faithfully to the text together as a community, it often makes us wrestle with bigger themes. And the grander and more mysterious parts of who God is, is and what God is up to is what I'm talking about. Kind of stuff that you feel in your chest and not just in your head. Like you resonate with it. And we believe that as apprentices to Jesus, that we are a people that are going somewhere. There's actually... A, a purpose, a, there's a telos to where we're going. And the narrative of Scripture, the big, huge, overarching narrative of Scripture, actually begins in a garden. And we'll see as we study the book of Revelation later this fall that it ends in a garden city. It begins in a garden and it ends in a garden city. And through that line, okay, um, there's this, in a sense, this, this ache for us to get back to what God intended for us, the home that God intended for us. So I'm going to start a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of scripture today in different places to give you an overarching theme of what I'm talking about. But in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says this. This is 
the, the book of uh, Revelation, but this is the author John. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God, it, it, John's saying, look, God's now housing himself. God is now creating a home for himself among his people. And John has been suffering. He's seen martyrdom and idolatry and violence. And now at the, he sees this vision that when things culminate, at the culmination of all things, he sees a home. That's what he sees. We might, this is going to throw some of you for a loop, we might even call God, the God of the Bible, the ultimate homemaker. I mean, God as a homemaker is perhaps kind of an image that you're not used to seeing or thinking about. But if we look across the entirety of Scripture, we can see a thread of God seeking to make a home among his people. And it runs throughout. It's kind of a winding course, but it runs throughout Scripture. And it might be a surprising image to you of God as a homemaker. But I'm hoping that you begin to see like this bigger theme as we go. Now, it starts off, like I said, in the creation story with the garden, that God creates a space to live with his creation. And, it, and it, further along, just kind of as the theme progresses, uh, God separates and, and, and kind of identifies a group of people by which he wants to live through to bless other nations. And he tells them to make a tabernacle. And if you actually go back and read the, the account of how that tabernacle was to be created, it actually parallels how the creation story began. It's just like this, I'm not going to get into it, it's super nerdy stuff, but it's like this beautiful, like, it just parallels how God created the garden, how God created all of creation, and how the tabernacle is formed. Then you have the psalmist declaring that he desires nothing more than to live in the house of the Lord. Listen to this, Psalm 27, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That, that, that the only thing he desires is this home, right? And kind of like how I said before, it was like our one focus was to just get home. This is the psalmist saying, all I really want, and this is David who had everything. <laughs> There's something in him ached, there's something that was saying that like, this is not complete. And in John's gospel, it, it, it proclaims, John says that the word of God became flesh. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is John using very much uh, Jewish imagery to say God tabernacled 
God wanted to make his home among us. And then the final kind of thread, and this goes all throughout scripture, but this is some of the stuff we talked about last week, this idea of strangers and aliens, right? Are said to become members of the household of God. This is Paul saying, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. This idea we were displaced and God pulled us together as a family. And there's a sense in which that, that we feel that, we taste that, and another sense that we feel like it's not totally complete. Now I'm proposing we can read scriptures from the beginning to the end, witnessing the story of God as a home builder, as a homemaker, as a home creator. And we even have that image of Jesus uh, saying to his disciples that, um, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to make something that you are going to be a part of. Now, I think one of the things that's really important for us to recognize that I think just in this season, this point in human history, I think this really resonates with us. And I think it's really important for us to think about that on our journey and our long kind of slow journey of walking as followers of Jesus in the cultural moment we are, I think it's really important for us to to yearn for home. And there's three kind of reasons why. And the first one is this. You and I have um, wounds and yearnings. We have wounds and yearnings. Um, anything from, you know, historical mass trauma where uh, groups of people are kind of dislocated, whether it's the people of Israel to Babylon, whether it's Native Americans and the Trail of Tears, where all these things, we, we resonate with how mass groups of people are moved around. But there's also something that sociologists are starting to talk about these days, which I think is really fascinating for us to think about. And it's the, the, the idea of reification. Have you ever heard that word before? Because I had never heard it. Reification. Now, this is going to sound kind of nerdy, but I want you to think about this. This is the habit we have in our modern world of analyzing and relating to the world as mere things. Meaning, we have a habit of distancing ourselves from others and thinking about others and, uh, as, as just things. And modern science kind of helps us with this a little bit. There's a way of just analyzing things and people as, as, as kind of causal relationships, meaning they're just kind of data points. So, so uh, hang with me here, and I'll help you a little bit um, as I try to help myself if, as we get a little existential. But modern technology, economics, politics, things like that have a re reification quality to them. I mean, they have a tendency to 
make us think of other people not as actual people, but as data. And we relate to data uh, more cognitively, meaning we don't have a lot of like emotion to it. So when you hear of things happening in the world or how many people get a disease because of this or that or whatever, we just don't have any emotion behind it because we're kind of trained to think of things and people as things. Some of you are actually really good at not doing that. Some of us have a hard time of getting over that. And it reduces the world to this, this kind of web of kind of like malleable things, meaning that, that we're all locating in our minds that we think about people in, in data sets or in groups or in tribes. It's like we stand before a blank universe and nothing feels like it's welcoming. And some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. But here's the thing. When people become data points in a data set, we don't have to feel anything about them. We can um, just put them in a category and move them to the side. And the problem is, is that we all experience our own wounds and we experience like our own uh, stuff, but nobody else, we can't relate to anybody else. The second part of this is we have a par- poverty of time. We have a poverty of time. We experience a sense of pervasive social acceleration all the time. And sociologists tell us that modern institutions, any modern institution or social system, can only maintain if they're continually growing. Okay, so growth means health. And so everything has to continually grow. It has to continually build. That means... How whoever you are, you you set and that kind of feeds everything. So whoever you are, it feels like there's never enough. Like things aren't growing enough or getting bigger or or getting more expanded. And the moment we cease building skills in our lives, we're falling behind. You ever feel that with your job? or whatever, acceleration builds into our lives this time poverty. And we're caught in between, right? So there's this sense in which we're always behind, but we're always moving on. Does that make sense? And there's just like this angst, like we're always going to the next thing, but we're always catching up. And the problem is, is we carry, one, one, one philosopher says, we carry everything in our pockets. We, carry, we literally carry everything in our pockets. And because of that, we're never anywhere. We're never really anywhere because we have everywhere 
in our pockets. And I think the final thing, and this is just, this is all kind of to just get you to wrestle a little bit with, your, with yourself, with where you are at. But the final one is this, is we live in a broken home. Words like exile and citizens of heaven, these are biblical kind of code language for us. Code language that it's kind of a metaphor and a theme of the exile of humanity. The unaddressed ache that we feel. The dislocation. And what comes of that is couple different ways we try to relate. For some, there's this genuine desire to escape. And for some of it, it's actually a theology of escape. Um, we are going to be in the book of Revelation, like I shared. And for the past 150 years or so, there's been developed a theology with that book and a few other pieces of scripture that creates an escapist mindset for many of us. That we are going to escape really hard things. And because of that, um, we don't have to really worry about the here and now. We don't have to worry about creation. We don't have to worry about um, if, if the world's falling apart. We just have to hold on and wait for that lifeline to come and we're going to get plucked out. Now, it's funny because I think there's a lot of science folk that are looking to escape too. Um, we've got some, some dudes who are spending a lot of money and burning a lot of fuel to figure out how to get off this planet. <laughs> right? So I don't think it's just a Christian side theology thing. I think it's actually a science thing too. It's like, we got to get off this planet. This planet's out of control. It's, it's on a doomsday course. We got to get off of it. So I think there's a lot of Christians that have a lot of things in common with the Elon Musks and the, whoever the other guys are, the other guys. But on a more granular level, we're all pretty good at escaping, Right? Entertainment, sports for me, gaming, social media, someone or something to fight about. But then there's the nostalgia crowd. You know, the nostalgia crowd is also, it's also an answer to this angst for us. This answer for what home could be like. For many of us, we, we fall into this desire to look back. Like, let's go back to that. Right? It's kind of like the people of Israel. They, they get rescued from Egypt, and within like a first week out in the desert, they're like, <laughs> I miss those Egyptian buffets. And this is where sometimes nationalism and traditionalism comes in. People go, well, we could just return to this or that. Those were the good old days. Those are the rose-colored glasses looking backwards. 
Some of you feel that in your own life. They're like, life was better when, blah, blah, blah. There could be some real truth to that. You could be experiencing some real loss to when life was like this. And I totally get that. A.J. Swoboda wrote a book called The Dusty Ones, and it's been really impactful for me. And he wrote this in it towards the end. He said, we will always wander. We will always long. We will always be hungry until we find what we were created for. Until then, we will wander from place to place, looking and searching, never finding, never being fulfilled. Heaven is, above all, the end of our wanderings. And in context, he's not saying, like I've been saying the last few weeks, he's not saying that heaven's somewhere else. That it's going to be, you know, we're going to get beamed out of here and we'll be in heaven and we can just look back at this earth as it just burns and whatever. <laughs> He's saying that heaven in scripture, the opposite of, of heaven is not hell. The opposite of heaven in scripture, the antithesis of heaven in scripture is earth. And heaven is the place in where God's will is being done, that God's full reign and his flourishing is happening in heaven. And, and earth is where sometimes God's will is being done. And the point is, is that one day God's will, heaven and earth, will be reunited. And all of this place that we live will be infused with heaven will be fully functioning, fully flourishing as God intended. One day, it will be a garden city. And we yearn for that. We yearn for when heaven and earth fully align, where this place of all of God's will is done, and earth on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe we can start to taste that if we look. So my final thing is to, to say this. What if, what if in your walking, in your journeying and following Jesus and living on this earth and experience all the brokenness and all the, the, the reification and all the things that we've talked about, what if I told you that God made you and I, God made us for here? God made us for here. To speak of God as a homemaker and especially to speak as God is seeking to dwell with us on earth, is to underscore you and I, we're our radical belonging here. We belong here. And there's this vital process that happens for when you experience home, how it should be, when you experience like the full flourishing connection of home, uh, you know, people like in the field of, of like studying when people feel totally connected, people feel like they resonate with others. People feel attached, right? You feel, when you feel attached to people and place, you, you feel like a shared vision of life. Like we just get life together. When you feel like you belong, when you're a vital member of something that's happening, 
um, and that you want other people to experience that belonging as well. And when you feel like what's, what social scientists call mutuality, which is like we both share, that we both resonate on the same things and we both belong and we both want each other to flourish, this is, this is the beauty of what it's supposed to be like, that God actually intended us to be a part of a community like that. That's why in the New Testament it talks about this new family, this new home, this new household where God is kind of flourishing in and amongst his people and there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation. He talks about you and I being uh, people of reconciliation. That's why all the one another's are in scripture of sharing with each other and bearing with each other and all the one another's. It is to affirm that God made us for here. For here. Otherwise, God would have said, hey, uh, Peter, James, John, Mary, you guys, okay, you, you all got your tickets to heaven. Now just ride it out. No. <laughs> He's like, no, create this community, Jew and Gentile. And you come from all these different places and Greek and, and women and men and all this stuff that just went against all the different social co codes. And he said, no, this is the home I'm creating here. In a world which you've been given, this is the home I'm creating. And the church is supposed to be a place where we get, taste a glimpse of that. We try to figure that, we wrestle it out. We wrestle with our own stuff about our own wounds and our own traumas and our own things and our own frustrations and our own ways we see other people as just data and our own yearnings and longings. And we wrestle with all that stuff together. We try to figure it out together. So we're not going to get ejected out of here. We're evacuated out of here. We're not wanting to go. We're not waiting to go to another home or another city. We're waiting for this city to be infused with the kingdom of God. And here's the great paradox. That Jesus was a wanderer. Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus shows up, God in human flesh shows up to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us, to home with us, and yet he didn't have a home. And I find it the great paradox that we find our home in the wanderer of Jesus. The book of Revelation, like I said this fall, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're uh, thinking it's going to be about code breaking and looking for signs, you are going to be so bummed out. And some of you have a lot of that in your history of church going. And, and, um, and we're going to talk about all that and where that came from and what, what's going on there. But there's a line at the end that says, then the end will come. And a lot of people have interpreted that to say, uh, that then it's going to all just kind of break in half and fall apart. And... But Miroslav Volf, 
the great theologian said this is what the end means. What ends is fallenness and fallibility, death and mortality. Things themselves do not pass away, but acquire a radically new quality. The end itself is therefore a new beginning. For this new beginning does not start a new cycle that itself comes to an end similar to the previous one. Instead, it is the beginning of what the Bible calls the world without end. The beginning of God's true and everlasting home among mortals. The whole Bible from the first verses of Genesis to the last of Revelation with its grand themes of redemption and consummation, then turns out to tell the story of this beginning, the beginning of the world without end. Church, we're headed somewhere. You're headed somewhere. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, the great wanderer, you are headed home. You are headed to something that you can begin to taste now, and one day you hope for and you work for. And we do that together. And that is the end of the series in walking. And so the questions I have for you are this. Where have you caught yourself longing for home? Longing for completeness and wholeness in your life? Where have you kind of caught yourself yearning for something to be fixed and complete? Weary with wandering in the brokenness of this world? Where are you just tired? And how does the paradox of finding your true home in Jesus, the wanderer, bring you hope? Let me pray. And we're going to take communion together. God, this morning we are wrestling with some big mysteries, some big themes, some big thoughts. Thoughts that cause us to reflect. And we're doing that intentionally. Because if we're just really being honest with our lives and how we experience the world around us, things are just not fitting. There's yearning and hope and there's frustration and there's pain. And yet we're told that one day you will make all things new. But many of us are just, just asking for a taste of that now. And this communion table is a taste of that. Because as it happens, the night before the great redemption, the great reconciliation, the great act of making all things right happened, Jesus, you sat at a table with your closest few. And they didn't know they really didn't know all that was going to take place. They, they had an idea, they had some thoughts, they had some opinions. 
but they were participating in a Passover meal, a rescue meal, a meal that remembered what you'd done thousands of years before for your people. And they did it like they always did it. But you passed the cup and you welcomed them. You invited them into a new way of seeing. You passed a cup and said, this is my blood spilled for you. You broke the Passover bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And the invitation was for home. The invitation was for us to experience your presence as our home. That all you want from, for us, God, is to experience you. To have a relationship with you. To, to dwell among us. And so, God, as we come to this table this morning, will you... Would you meet us? Not just in the act of ingesting the bread and ingesting, ingesting the cup, but would you, would you meet us here? Would your presence meet us here? Personally, corporately, meet us here. That you are the great homemaking God And that you want us to actively participate in, in that homemaking. That you have work for us to do. And one day it will be complete. But may this table also be a moment for us to re-engage in that work recommit to that work. That part of our work is to reach out and help others belong. To hear their stories, to resonate with their stories. To help people attach themselves to this beautiful story of who you are and what you've done for us. Yeah, we come to the, the table eager, expecting celebrating with great gratitude that you walk with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.